All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm talking to you from New York City. This is the 12th day of April, 2022. And I also want to thank uh, each of you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. We do also want to thank uh, our sponsors for making the show economically viable. Today's sponsors are Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Eloro Resources, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, SK Mining, and a new sponsor, Rena Gold Corp, joins us today. I've titled today's show, Edging Towards a Gold Standard. Alistair McLeod, Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver return as guests this week. Few Americans understand that the dollar became the world's currency because of an agreement between the Nixon administration and Saudi Arabia not long after Nixon detached gold from the dollar in 1971. He did that, uh, and then after that, followed up with a demand and an agreement made with OPEC, with the OPEC, with Saudi Arabia and the OPEC nations, that all the oil that they sold, that the OPEC nations sold, would be paid for in dollars. And so it is not surprising that Americans have very little understanding of why Russia is demanding now that the life-sustaining oil and gas it sells to Europe must be paid in that country's currency, namely Russian rubles, or in gold. Because it suits the counterfeiting central banks of the West, Americans have been kept in the dark about why gold is money and why the dollar, not gold, is used for international trade. But as the world is in need of life-sustaining food and energy rather than military weaponry, those of us who live in the West may be about to learn some very hard lessons about economics, namely that Keynesian lies that we have been told for decades is sending the West into poverty, and that in the end, it's not digital units of money that are created out of thin air that save us, but rather life-sustaining commodities. This ability to print endless quantities of dollars out of thin air has enabled Americans to live beyond its means since 1971, to consume and also to finance the greatest military in the world, the greatest military the world has ever seen, which has been used to bully our way into foreign lands and in many cases get involved in overthrowing foreign governments, some of which were elected. That may be nearing an end along with a demise of the dollar as the world's reserve currency. Now that the U.S. has sanctioned Russia and has taken away its dollars and has disallowed it to use the SWIFT system for international trade and payments, on March 25th, Russia did exactly, again, what I said Nixon and Kissinger did in the early 1970s. Putin's government is requiring unfriendly countries that need gas and oil to pay for it in Russian rubles. They may also pay for those 
uh, energy products in gold, which was, of course, the option that was done away with by Nixon, uh, by the Nixon administration in the early 1970s. The mandate from Russia hardly makes the news in America, but Alistair McLeod will be with me in the second half of today's show to explain why it represents what may well be a tectonic shock in the structure of the global monetary system. Alistair will explain why he thinks in time the winner of this financial battle will most likely be gold, meaning that gold priced in dollars and other fiat currencies is likely heading to much, much higher levels. That, of course, is good news for companies that are making major gold and silver discoveries like SK Mining, which seems to be on to a major VMS deposit, very much akin to the great SK Creek gold and silver mine located in the same belt of rocks as SK Mines uh, project is located. And by the way, that SK Creek deposit was one of the richest in the history of Canada, richest gold and silver mines in the history of Canada. Well, Quentin Henning will be, join, will be joining me right after our first commissioner break in a few minutes from now to tell you why SK Mining appears to be on to a very, very, very large gold and silver discovery and why there is still loads of upside potential for the stock from its current price at just under $2 US. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again. Uh, he is uh, one of our highest in-demand speakers. We're always glad to have him with us because he uh, he has just uh, has done such a fabulous job in helping us stay on track uh, in the metals that we're most concerned about. Michael, thank you so much for joining me again. Good to be back. It's good to be back, and it's also good for me to tell people that it's OliverMSA.com uh, for them to sign up for your wonderful work. Uh, I don't know how I could do without it, actually, Michael. So um, I'm really glad that you could join us again uh, to help our listeners understand a few of the basics that are needed to be understood in these shifting markets. Uh, it seems to me that uh, gold has definitely broken out uh, from its arm wrestling, I don't know, base building uh, that we saw taking place over the past several months. Is that the way you see it? Yes, uh, absolutely. In fact, about five, six weeks ago, Silver and the miners also agreed with what gold did in November, meaning it said basically said it's over. Okay, meaning the the corrective process. Um, and sure enough, the miners, for example, suddenly grew a backbone almost immediately. Uh, if you look at a chart, for example, of GDX, just look at a daily. Go back to December last year, it was trading in the 28 area. Okay. And also look mm -hmm. at the S&P at the same time, by the way. It was trading at 4,800. Okay. What's happened since? Uh, S&P has gone down, had a counter-trend rally, now it's failing, and GDX is over 40. Okay. Mm -hmm. 28 to 40 in a matter of three months or so. That's a jolt, and that's good. Uh, what it says is, to us anyway, our interpretation of it is not that the little people are buying gold miners, but big asset managers are, because mm -hmm. they generally will not go in and buy gold futures and things of that sort of bullion. Uh, they'll they'll buy the, especially the the name miners and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we've had this extreme upward jolt in the miners, and it says to us that uh, yep, um, not only is the net trend of gold, silver, and the miners back to the upside. But the shift within the sector favoring the miners, which is something we wanted to see, it sort of validates the assumption of the upside again, uh, is underway. And so, it's, as we've said before, our preference is in the remainder of this bull market, which is paused for a year and a half, but it's still part of the bull market that started from the 2015 low, uh, the best place to be is silver and the miners, not mm -hmm. gold. Mm -hmm. Gold is the mama. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Uh, and so silver bullion, and do you think silver miners more than gold miners? Silver even? miners, uh, gold, basically blanket. I'm not going to pick out a specific stock. We do that in our yeah. gold silver reports. Mm-hmm. We tend to try to ferret out the ones that are outperforming within the sector. And it's always mm-hmm. true with any stock market sector, you know, whether you're talking technology or healthcare or whatever. There's certain stocks that are beating the sector, certain stocks within the sector that are underperforming. And so we, on a continual basis, try to ferret out the ones that are doing better than the sector. But basically, uh, you need to own gold miners. And so maybe the easiest way is to, to look at the ETFs, mm-hmm. uh, GDX, GDXJ, SIL for the silver miners, or SILJ, the junior silvers, uh, and uh, participate that way. But mm-hmm. our technicals indicate, yes, the upside is resuming. Now, I'll add a little a couple numbers here for you. These okay. are price-based numbers, which is not something mm-hmm. we normally focus on. But once momentum engages, price usually will follow. Mm-hmm. If you look at a silver chart, uh, we've got a, 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 a – well, actually, it's a momentum-based number. If you get up to about – we're now a 2560 area. Um, you get up and approach 27 again. Now, that last rally we had in March poked over 27, okay, mm-hmm. and then pulled back. You go back up and even approach 27 again. I think silver's mm-hmm. going to launch through the highs, which is to say the highs, there's a zone up there, 28 to $30 that was approached three times between the summer of 2020 and early 2021. Mm-hmm. So there's a flat ceiling up there. We think if you get back up and even approach 27, you're likely to jolt mm-hmm. through and through those old highs. Now for gold, it's sort of an idiot chart. <laughs> Point and figure chart is the X and O charts that you've seen before. If you put it on a $50 by three block reversal point and figure, you mm-hmm. made a peak in 2020 at the price of 2050. Okay, you traded up to 2070, but we're talking $50 increments now. Okay, mm-hmm. then you yeah. proceeded to go into your year and a half pullback, zigzags up and down, so forth. But below that peak, you tag that 2050 level again in early March. Okay, and they sold it there. You drop back three ticks. To nineteen hundred, one hundred fifty dollar drop at least to get down to that. Right. But that was good. I liked that sell off because what it did, it set up a double top at twenty fifty. Now mm-hmm. gold never peaked with double peaks, by the way. When it makes a high, it doesn't go back to it. So going back to the high was a hint. But now, if you ever go back there again to twenty fifty, which is like seventy five mm-hmm. bucks above today's high. Uh, you're at a triple top, and I'll almost guarantee you will not stop. That will be a triple top breakout. And mm-hmm. at that point, I think the gold investors who aren't in it to the percent they want to be or other asset managers who are watching that market will suddenly be forced to make their decision. And I think you could see a gusher at that point. If you go back to that 2050 level uh, and you print a 2100, that's a triple top breakout Gold should then go more vertical. Wow. Of course, the, the entire category should go more vertical. So those wow. numbers aren't far overhead, uh, and I'd be watching those. At the same time, watch the S&P, because it is mm-hmm. now in inverse relationship to gold in the, in the sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, if you look at gold's top closing day of that March rally was March the 8th. Look at S&P, its low close of the pullback into March was March the 8th. Total opposites. Mm-hmm. Now what, mm-hmm. what's going on? Gold had a pullback from that high. S&P had a rally from that low. Now mm-hmm. S&P's rolling over hard again, and gold's rallying back up hard again. Mm-hmm. So 
don't don't look at the stock market and be fearful. Cheer its down ticks because that's what's going to spook the Fed, mm-hmm. and the ECB, and the BOJ back into at some point, probably within the next year, back into the norms of their behavior, mm-hmm. which is to say, monetary excess, keep rates lower than reality. They have no other choice because if the, if the stock market begins into a bear market. Uh, where people perceive it as such. Also watch the muni bonds uh, and the high-yield corporate debt market. They are imploding. And the Fed is definitely going to be aware of this. And those markets, as they drop, will cause, a month or two or three later, the economic metric numbers that the Fed says we're we're data watchers, right? We're data Mm -hmm. centers, okay? Well, they're going to get the kind of data they don't want to see, which will be totally opposite to their, quote, tightening policy. So it's going to be very interesting uh, popcorn time to watch what the Fed's going to do when they they go from extreme liquidity to extreme tightness to to, to what? They have to defend those assets. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be fun to watch them get a whiplash. (laughs) My goodness. Well, Michael, do you think that with regard to the long-dated treasuries, uh, have they broken down now? Or yes, we, do you yes, think technically yes, yes. that we're going to see much higher yes. interest rates, long-dated we're going rates? To see much higher rates. However, I caution people, the status of that market, like 10-year notes, 30-year bonds, uh, TLT, the ETF that's quite popular, long-term U.S. government debt, as well as the bonds overseas and the JGBs, Japanese government bonds, they're all annual momentum negative now, meaning you've uh-huh. begun a major bear trend. Yields are going up. But... On an intermediate basis, I could see them making a low sometime in the next month or so, this month or next, and perhaps stalling for a while, or even uh-huh. generating a counter-trend rally of some mm-hmm. minor dimension. Uh, mm-hmm. They've broken too much stuff to turn up in a sincere way, but they could have a pause. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't urge people to be getting short T-bonds here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're okay. a good metric, yeah, but they're mm-hmm. not, it's not a good time to be getting short. <laughs> Yeah, not to mention likely uh, yield control. Uh, yield, I wouldn't be surprised there's some monkeying around in the markets by the powers mm-hmm, that be mm-hmm. also to try to to try to suppress rates. Uh, what else do we expect from people that don't really believe in capitalism that claim to run no. capitalist, a capitalist country? Anyway, we'll have to leave it go at that, Michael. Thank you so much for your insights. These are really important things, uh, really important things you're telling us. So I want to thank you very much for spending uh, the time with us. All right, folks, well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Quentin Henning will be with us talk about SK Mining, which is on to a VMS discovery, a gold-silver discovery. Uh, looks very major. Uh, I think very important for you to stick around uh, and hear what Quentin has to say about the plans to explore and develop that project uh, in the summer of 2022. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Quentin Henning. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. 
SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQX is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Dr. Quentin Henning with us once again today. He's here to talk about SK Mining. Quentin is a director for SK Mining. He is also a member of the Crestcat management team, Crestcat capital management team, and uh, Crestcat is a strategic investor in SK Mining, which is exploring a, for a very exciting volcanic massive sulfide project in the same belt of rocks that hosts one of the richest gold silver mines in Canadian history, that being uh, SK Creek Mine. What is so exciting about this story is, in fact, uh, that it is in the same belt of rocks, and the company has also had some really great results in its first couple of years of, of exploring this project. Uh, before I say hello to Quentin, I should tell you that SK Mining trades in Toronto under the symbol ESK. You can buy it down here in the States, as I have, under the symbol ESKYF. I have around 165, 166 million shares outstanding. A dollar ninety. It's up a little bit today. A dollar ninety-eight. When I looked at it in U.S. money, it gives it a market cap in U.S. funds of around three hundred and twenty-eight million dollars. And I think the company's in pretty good shape financially. Quentin can can let us know about that. But it's my understanding uh, the company is in the process of raising seven million in Canadian money and already and has a large number of warrants in the money, which should bring in another twelve million dollars or so. So the company should be well funded. Uh, to carry out a very aggressive drill program uh, this summer. So with that, I'm really glad to welcome Quentin. Thank you for joining me again, Quentin. Always a pleasure, Jay. Always good to have you. Uh, You always have some very interesting stories and very promising stories because I know that you don't really get involved in a project unless you think it has really sort of world-class scale. Uh, and so, and so, uh, we, you don't fool around with little one million ounce deposits. Generally, you're looking for something that really can work in this day and age. So, uh, it's always good to have you. For the benefit of folks who may not be aware of SK Mining's project, maybe just give a quick overview of it. Uh, sure. And, and and go ahead with that. Yeah, that's a good place to start, really, because uh, you know a lot of people way back in the late 1980s and early 1990s when SK uh, Creek was actually first found, you know, they, they appreciate it. They know the story, and they saw how it developed. It was the highest-grade mine uh, for many years on, on planet Earth. 
and it was actually the highest margin too. You know, with the silver credits, look, uh, it it basically produced gold at a negative cost. So, uh, just for people's edification, look, Cascade Creek, the historic mine, uh, the high grade was about two point three million tons produced over a, you know, call it fifteen, thir- thirteen or fourteen year period, I believe. Um, it produced so about two point three million tons at about. 46 grams per ton gold and about 2.1 kilograms of silver per ton. So, you know, just an absolutely exceptional deposit. Now, uh, a little bit more about SK. Okay. So SK Creek, uh, is now being advanced by Skeena. What are they doing? Well, they're, they're looking at the, we'll call it lower grade. It's not really low grade, but lower grade remnants or remains of the deposit. And guess what? There's, you know, I think, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I would think it's in the order of, 40, 45 million tons. So, you know, something like, uh, you know, what would that be? Almost 20 times the original tonnage yeah. of the high-grade deposit uh-huh. uh, that's running about four to five gram gold equivalent. Wow. You know, and it's, again, it's a gold and silver mix. So you got to keep that in mind. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, Skeena is currently looking to develop that into a large open pit or multiple pits, I guess, as well as some underground. Now, um, a lot of, anybody knows VMS knows that a lot of VMS camps have many deposits, okay? Uh, you know, there's some of these VMS camps might have a dozen or, or more, maybe two or three dozen even, uh, VMS deposits. And, and they can range from small up to, to large. Um, I would mm-hmm. consider the current Asgay Creek deposit to be kind of a medium-sized VMS. You know, and the question has been for many years, where the heck are the rest of the VMS in this camp? Uh-huh. There's a lot of perspective ground. I would say SK mining holds uh, about 85% of the perspective ground around the SK Creek mine. So guess what? It's on our ground. Okay. And we've, we've now proven that by the drilling we've done at both TV and Jeff, but the early signs of uh, yet further VMS discoveries elsewhere, you know, we've got some really good news uh, out from the last uh, year season. Uh, I can go into that in a little more depth, but that, mm-hmm. that hopefully gives people a background about this exciting project. We're looking for uh, perhaps even a bigger system than the original SK Creek mine, and I think we have it. Well, Quentin, uh, I know looking at your map, there's countless uh, targets that are there. The ones you focused on and you drill, did a lot of drilling on last year was the TV and Jeff. They're two, two targets that are close together, and if I understand properly, the thought is that they probably link together. Uh, what, what can you tell us about what you learned last year at TV, Jeff, and, and in general, what did you learn from your drill program last year? Certainly, we learned several things. First of all, uh, we, we expanded both systems uh, quite a bit. If you look at the footprint of each system today, it's, it's more than twice as large as they were last year. Uh, or sorry, I mean 2020, when I say last year, I mean the uh-huh. previous season. Uh, so that's uh, the the first thing we learned. We also are seeing signs now uh, from the soils and, and other rock chip sampling and stuff that we had talked about a few weeks ago mm-hmm. that the two systems connect. There's very clear evidence for that. In fact, the uh, the gold anomalism extends well beyond the, the strike of TV and Jeff. So we now identified a six-kilometer-long corridor of highly prospective ground, both the, the geophysical data, the, you know, the SkyTem data suggests multiple sulfide bodies present along that corridor but we also see now geochemical evidence in soils and rock chip sampling that suggests we have lots more to do here so again uh, look the, the the existing sk creek deposit has a footprint that's about two or three kilometers long 
and a, within a quarter, say, a kilometer wide. Well, we have a, a system that's now clearly at least six kilometers long. And, uh, again, it's about a kilometer wide. So we have something that, you know, in footprint size is is twice the size of the existing uh, SK Creek system. So we're quite excited to get back in there, do some more drilling. The other thing we learned, though, Jay, is very important. The, the mineralization that we found at TV and Jeff occur lower in the stratigraphy uh, mm-hmm. than the traditional SK Creek deposit. Most of what we drilled so far is down in the lower part of the Hazleton group, which is the basically the, the package of rocks that formed on the seafloor. And and we do think there's potential above this, okay? So we're still very keen on the potential. Higher in this section, we do think there's potential to find that SK analog, higher in the section at TV and Jeff. Uh, but we have some other good news. Uh, over So TV and Jeff occur on the east limb of the SK anticline. The anticline goes up, and then it dips down on the west side, and we found a mirror image, I kid you not, of TV and Jeff on the west uh-huh. side. Mm-hmm. We call it Excelsior. So now we see, you know, like when I say TV and Jeff, that's not all we're, we're really dealing with here. We're dealing with, uh, you know, an ever-expanding mineral system. Excelsior looks like the mirror of TV and Jeff. So we might have, uh, you know, 2X, if you, you will, mm-hmm. uh, to discover here. And then we have elsewhere on the property. we got Scarlet Ridge up to the north. Beautiful geochem. We found historic data there, some very high-grade rock chip samples, even some pretty good grades and some historic drilling from way back around the era of the original discovery, Eskate Creek. Well, guess what? Nobody's touched that area in, in 40, or what would it be, uh, uh, 30 years now. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. <laughs> okay, so we're <laughs> chomping at the bit to get back in there. Uh, down at C10 in Vermilion, we, we had some very encouraging results. We did hit high grade at C10. We hit uh, two meters of uh, 31 grams, I believe it was, so two, two meters of an ounce per ton. Great start there. We have targets all over the property. Again, that VMS at camp is showing up on our ground. Yeah, and uh, before we went on, uh, before we went live uh, during the commercial break, you mentioned you seem to be very, very uh, excited about Scarlet Ridge. Um, maybe, I don't know, why, why, what do you see about that that has you so excited? Well, uh, the Scarlet Ridge, the part of the stratigraphy it occurs, appears to be very similar to the SK Creek setting, which is actually only seven kilometers to the west. So to put Scarlet Ridge in context, it's towards the north end of what we call the east anticline. So it's not part uh-huh. of the SK anticline. It's actually the next anticline over. Mm-hmm. And SK Creek happens to sit at the north end of the SK anticline. So we see Scarlet Ridge having the same stratigraphy and basically the same position, like geologic position, as the SK Creek de- deposit. So, you know, this could be very exciting. We could basically find, you know, a brand new SK Creek type system in that region. And do you expect, uh, you just give us a, a quick, um, how, how much how much are you going to be drilling this year? Do you have, uh, the, how much meterage uh, will yep. be drilled in? The, yeah. That's a good question. Look, last year we, we targeted 30,000 meters. Snow started falling early in September. We got shut out, so we only drilled 24. This year, we're going to target over 30,000 meters, but we are going to get an earlier start. And we're going to have, we're likely have to ramp up the number of drills we have. Uh, but we're also going to push the drill to the, you know, the more typical close of season, which is about mid-October for the region. If we get in there early and we have more rigs 
and uh, one more month, we'll call it, uh, out of the season, I think we can get well north of 30,000 meters. All right. Well, in closing, uh, I guess I guess we want to watch uh, the the uh, the drill results, which will be some time coming. But uh, in terms of share price drivers, in addition to a, a healthy gold market, which Michael Oliver is uh, telling us we're going to have, uh, I guess just watch for the news. I guess right. Well, that and look, we're well financed. Uh, we just did a raise. It's the second tranche will close here imminently. Uh, we got seven million charity flow through. And basically, with that and the, the money we had in the bank, we're, we're ready to go. All right. Very good. All right, Quentin. Well, thank you very much for this update. Uh, we'll certainly be watching this one closely uh, during the summer of 2022. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away. Alistair McLeod will be with me to explain why a return back to a gold-based monetary system is certainly within the realm of possibility and why recent moves by Russia to demand payment for natural gas and oil in Russian rubles and or gold Maybe a first step in that direction. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really uh, pleased to have Alistair McLeod with us again. He is a senior fellow at the Gold Money Foundation and head of research at Gold Money. And uh, you can and should read Alistair's uh, Gold Money Insights letter every Thursday at uh, goldmoney.com. So on the research page there, it's certainly one of those things that I have to see every week to keep up with uh, what Alistair is talking about and what's going on in the gold markets. Um, from a fundamental point of view. And so today I want to have Alistair discuss a couple very important recent letters that uh, came out uh, he, that he uh, wrote. Uh, the, March 31 was titled Edging Towards a Gold Standard and April 7th, The Commodity Currency Revolution. Um, so, uh, Alistair, thank you so much for joining me again. That's my pleasure, Jay. You know, um, I don't know what you are hearing in Great Britain, but when I turn on the news here in the United States, I hear all about how the United States can and must win the war in Ukraine, and that uh, and that we're about uh, you know that we're that we need to keep sending more and more weapons to the Ukraine to drive Putin's military out of the country, uh, and, uh, and and try Putin for war crimes. Uh, 
I hear about how effective sanctions are, but they were told that it's just a matter of time before the sanctions we've placed on Putin is going to make him cry uncle and submit to us. Uh, never is there any discussion about the possibility that sanctions might be counterproductive. Are you hearing more or less the same sort of uh, sort of maim in, in, in the UK? Well, I, um, similar, I think, is the answer, Jay. Um, it's always very difficult to know. I mean, the, the one casualty in war is truth. We just yes. actually, I mean, we, we know that it's horrid. And it's particularly horrid because, you know, for Brits, I mean, we live on an island. We haven't had this, you know, sort of armies marching through our territory and killing people on the way through. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is basically what Europe has had for the last 2000 years. Um, you know, it just happens periodically. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying that this is for the first time with media and all the rest of it. We're really having our noses rubbed in it. And it's not nice. It really isn't. Mm. Um, now, having having said that, um, I was interested in um, uh, two points you made. One is that, uh, you know, sort of talking about uh, the US has got to win the war in Ukraine. Now, hold on a minute. Um, you know, uh, we're not the US and NATO are not at war. <laughs> <laughs> in Ukraine. I mean, if that was the case, it would be World War Three. Um, so I think um, your media is probably going a little over the top on that. Mm -hmm. um, with respect to sanctions, I think this is this is a very important point, because um, the fact of the matter is that the uh, Russian economy is basically quite strong. Um, it is bedeviled by a very volatile currency, which is made volatile and particularly volatile by uh, actions from the US. And I, you know, I, I think that that was part of the purpose of, of sanctions to undermine the currency and, um, you know, through that, um, make life extremely difficult for um, for Putin. But actually, what's happened is that the currency has recovered back to more or less where it was before this started. Um, I mean, I've got it at 81 rubles. Um, it's been down to 75 rubles. I mean, that's up again. That's that's up for the yes. rubble rather uh -huh. than for the dollar. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, let, let's let's try and talk some truth about these sanctions, because that really is the real issue. I mean, America is preaching about um, sanctions from another continent and it's not really directly affected. The right. EU is very directly affected. And um, if she has to pay a lot more for energy, if she has to do without energy, basically the EU economy is um, in dire straits. I mean, it really is. It's, it's as simple as, as that. Now, what Putin has quite cleverly done, and I hate to say this of Putin, but he is clever, let's give him that, uh, is that he has effectively said to the EU, well, you go along with the Russian, with, with the Americans if you want, um, in which case, you're going to have to go and fish for um, f for oil and, and natural gas, and you will have to pay an open market price. On the other hand, if you're prepared to cooperate with us, then we will sell you gas and oil at reasonable prices, but you will have to pay in rubles. You know, so what do you want? Do you want to pay a reasonable price in rubles, or do you want to pay through the nose and not get watch, uh, you know, your, the necessary natural gas and oil by going into the open markets. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, this is the point about these sanctions. These sanctions actually are blowing back 
on America's partners uh, very, very badly. And not only that, but if you look at the food situation, um, I mean, Ukraine is known as the breadbasket of Europe, and mm -hmm. um, th that is for very good reason, because it is a major, major wheat producer. And not only that, but the Russian steppes, um, you know, adjoining uh, uh, Ukraine also is um, a huge producer and exporter of, of, of grains. And not only that, but they produce and export uh, fertilizer as well. Mm -hmm. So what we have is a situation where the world is going to be short of grains and short of fertilizer to keep uh, production up in the summer months. I mean, we, we are facing a real food crisis in the middle of this year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, thanks a bunch for these sanctions, I mean, because that is actually all they're achieving. It is blowing back on the West in and also on um, you know, countries in Africa and um, uh, countries like Egypt, who are great importers of, of, of wheat and maize. I mean, the, you know, the effect of this is actually disastrous. We're going to have very serious famines. Uh, later on this year uh, in the poor nations. And so what do we do? We stand back and say, well, you know, collateral damage. Now, come on. This is actually a very, very serious issue. And it does not behove the president of the United States um, really to stand up and say, well, you know, uh, we're going to we're going to lick this guy. Um, you know, we've got to stop the Russians and, um, you know, in the process, basically um, get people starving. I'm sorry, but mm -hmm. this is actually a very serious matter. I'm not saying that there was necessarily uh, much of an alternative, but it could have been a bit better planned. Yeah. Well, it's certainly uh, you have to wonder. I mean, it's, it's certainly not just a Western European problem. Uh, food prices are rising around the world already. That might not just be related to the Ukrainian uh, situation, but uh, other things that you know we've talked about before on this show, massive amounts of money creation out of the central banks around the world uh, without the same amount of supply. Um, but Peru is having food riots, I understand right now, uh, the poorer countries, as you say. But the Europeans, I mean, how much can they, how, how far can they take this? And, and um, politically, why not, why not buy, why not buy gas from, from Russia? What's so dangerous about that? Do they, are, are the Europeans really fearful that Russia is going to uh, take back? I mean, what, the part of the rhetoric we're hearing here is that Putin won't just stop with the Ukraine. He'll go into Poland. He'll start taking back all of the uh, satellite countries of the old Soviet Union. Do you think that's a legitimate fear? Do you think um, Europeans are, are fearful of that? Some are, I'm sure. Well, I think, yes, that's, that is right. I mean, put yourself in the position of the Baltic states. Um, uh -huh. and you, you, know, you escape the Soviet Union to find that, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, Soviet Union Mark II is marching into Ukraine and, um, you know, beating the drum against NATO. You may be a member of NATO, but if you weren't a member of NATO, you would think, my goodness, perhaps we would be next. No, there is a lot of genuine fear. Mm -hmm. about um, what happens after Ukraine. But the, the, the problem I think that the EU has is that um, left to their own devices, the EU would actually go and buy Russian gas. And I think that's probably what they'll end up doing because they really have no alternative. The problem really is that they don't want to upset the Americans. You've got a NATO alliance which has um, 
uh, you know, sort of, if you like, uh, kept Europe secure since the Second World War. And, um, you know, this is not something you toss o over easily. And there is no doubt that the Americans, supported by the British, have lent very, very hard on the Germans in particular. Yes. Who remember, had Nord Stream 2 and, you know, very much involved with the Russians. I mean, one of the other problems is that the, the um, EU has been pursuing a green agenda, mm -hmm. which... Um, in, in the case of Germany, has even gone to the extent of closing down nuclear power generation. Right. And, um, you know, actually what it amounts to is that uh, as far as Germany is concerned, it's all right for someone else to produce the gas and the oil and all the rest of it. We will buy it and import it, but we won't do it ourselves because we're green, aren't we? So <laughs> you can see this ridiculous situation. Yeah, it's the same yeah. thing here. Yeah, it's the I same mean, politics playing out here under the Biden administration. Exactly, exactly. And so, I mean, they they have been. I think <laughs> the phrase is hoist <laughs> by their own petard. In that sense, it's. I mean, it is a crazy situation. I mean, we have opened ourselves up to, um, uh, you know, the, an, an energy crisis basically by doing away with fossil fuels without an adequate replacement and whether there will ever, ever be an adequate replacement, quite frankly, I doubt. But, you know, we've got caught in this and Putin has been actually quite clever exploiting this. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know until someone pointed it out to me is that Putin's PhD was in um, uh, energy economics. Oh. Now, that's very interesting. He's got a better grasp of actually the economics of energy than any of the other world leaders, so far as I can see. And that informs us about um, what his objectives might be in doing this. And I think, you know, I mean, if I was in his shoes, I would actually want to divorce my currency from the failings in the West, because one of the one of the consequences of um, uh, sanctions is that inflation in the form of rising prices is going to be far worse as a consequence. I mean, we've already talked about food, for example, we can talk about energy. I mean, if I if I uh, tell you that I would not be surprised to see uh, West Texas uh, up at $200 a barrel, mm -hmm. um, you know, you get some sort of feel for uh, uh, the inflation pressures, if you like, the price pressures coming through. At the same time, Shanghai is shut down and there are huge, huge logistical problems mounting um, <laughs> uh, over on that side of the world. So, you know, this outlook for interest rates is extremely grim. So we already see what the Japanese are doing. They're mm -hmm. trying to stop yields rising because otherwise the central bank is bust with all this enormous portfolio of uh, Japanese government bonds, corporate bonds and equities that they've got on board so they've drawn a line in the sand at a quarter percent yield on the 10-year JGB. And what's <laughs> happening? The currency is collapsing because it's a clear signal that where the preference is. The preference is basically to keep bond yields down and to hell with the currency. And that's mm -hmm. that's what's happening. And it's going to happen with, with um, uh, the, the euro and the ECB because they've got exactly the same problem. They start mm -hmm. negative interest rates with roaring inflation. I mean, come on. This is just... Nonsense, complete nonsense. All right. So what you see, though, Alistair, is those currencies going down, the dollar getting stronger. And I'm hearing people on our media here talk about that. Look, the dollar is strong. 
Putin's uh, economy is going to hell in a handbasket. But the, look at the dollar. The dollar is getting stronger through this. And they use that as a means to try to say, oh, we're okay. We're strong here in America. Well, um, they're looking at completely the wrong thing. I mean, if you look at the, the foreign exchanges, you've got a collapsing yen and you've got a collapsing uh, euro. Right. So, you know, the dollar, the dollar isn't going anywhere. It's the other things that are going down against it. And, um, you know, if you think that uh, you've got a strong dollar, just sort of think, well, you know, what are commodity prices doing in dollars? I mean, yeah. that's a very, very different story. And that's actually right. where you should be looking. Right. And then also, uh, how is the dollar faring versus the, uh, since Putin, you know, demanded payment in uh, in rubles, how's the dollar doing relative to the Russian ruble and the Chinese uh, and the Chinese currency, for example? I think that I think both of them have gotten stronger recently. Yes, they have. I mean, both of them have. And uh, I would expect them to continue to be so because, there, I mean, from the point of view of, of, of buying um, uh, natural gas and oil from Russia, um, you know, they're not a huge amount of rubles in, in circulation in the West. So uh, that is a thing which is going to continue, I think, to strengthen the ruble. I wouldn't be surprised to see the ruble go to somewhere less than 70 to the dollar. Um, and we've already seen the Chinese have started stockpiling um, commodities and grains way back from uh, as far back as uh, March 2020, when the Fed reduced interest rates to zero and started 120 billion a month of QE. The Chinese knew what was happening on the money side. And so they didn't want to have a part of this. And the result is that they've accumulated quite a lot of things which are going to cost them more in dollars. Uh, their currency has gone up by something like 11 or 12 percent since that March uh, against the dollar. And, uh, you know, the ruble is in the same sort of camp. And really what they're doing is they're moving away from currencies which are dependent on uh, financial assets as uh -huh. bank collateral to commodities as bank collateral. And this is a fundamental difference. You're I mean. We're, we're all about to see a massive, massive stock market crash. I can say that with, in, with horrifying confidence because I can understand what's happening to interest rates. It's mm -hmm. just that people in the equity market are sitting there hoping that, um, you know, it's still transient or something. I don't know what they're hoping. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're on another planet, really. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the fact is that with price inflation running at where it is at the moment and where it is going to run as a result of sanctions. I mean, there is no way that you're going to see equities not fall. And we're talking about falling from a real bubble, too. I mm -hmm. mean, a huge yes. bubble. And this is the culmination of, what, 50 years from 1971 of the financialization of uh, the dollar, um, uh, sterling, the yen, and um, also the euro. And these these financialized currencies are just going to be completely wiped out um, when you move, you know, really by a huge great bear market in both bonds and equities. So you believe, Alistair, that it's that it's very, very likely that the Europeans, especially some of those more dependent on Russian oil and gas, are going to have to come up with rubles or gold or something to buy their to buy those assets. I mean, what are they going to do? Otherwise, freeze to death? Or can the United States come to the rescue? Or are there, are there some other sources of energy they can get aside from 
uh, bowing to the demands of, uh, of Putin. Well, I think this is Putin's point. I mean, you know, he's saying to Germany et al., um, you can go and get your, you know, you can go and get your energy from whoever you want, but you're going to have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, um, you know, the the, the energy um, input into into the eurozone is something like forty percent of its total requirement from from Russia. Mm-hmm. How do you replace that? I mean, um, uh, President Biden has very kindly offered uh, something like ten percent, uh, uh, um, uh, suppl- you know, of that forty percent um, <laughs> being shipped from America. Yeah, and that's about all he can do. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's it is not good. It really is not good. Um, you know, you mentioned a PhD in economics for Putin in uh, in energy. And I heard a uh, an analyst, uh, actually from from a Canadian analyst who was a lender to the energy industry recently on an interview, talk about how uh, you know the eastern part of the Ukraine is very very rich in gold, in 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 energy in uh, in that, in gas and oil, and that he believes that Putin has really seen the possibility of making Russia into a an energy dominant energy player. It is already, but even more so with the Chinese, the Indians, and the Europeans, those three markets, uh, you know, which is which just absolutely be huge. Um, you think this might be what he has in mind, then it would seem as though uh, that could be the case. And it will makes- India, and, and will India, you know, I know that uh, the, the Biden administration is trying to put some pressure on India, but what do you think? It makes an awful lot of sense. I mean, it it really does. Um, uh, yes, I I heard uh, this this uh, thing about um, uh, energy resources mm-hmm. in eastern Ukraine, and I understand that it is that, that the resources are enormous, and I think that makes some sense of Putin's stra- strategy. Basically, he wants to get the eastern Ukraine. Um, uh, having tried to go for the lot um, and uh, re- been rebuffed, he's definitely going to go for eastern Ukraine, capture that. He won't care um, he, who gets hurt in the way, who gets killed and all the rest of it. As far as he's concerned, I think what he wants is the real estate because of the oil under it. And mm-hmm. there is no I mean, already um, uh, Russia is the largest exporter of energy in the world. And mm-hmm. I mean, Talking about sanctions harming Russia. I mean, they've mm-hmm. just declared the 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 um, uh, uh, the trade surplus for uh, I think it was the month of February or something like that, hitting new records. You know, mm-hmm. come on, yeah. <laughs> you know, wake up, America! This is not working. You, you know, you're hurting yourselves at the end of the day. And I mean, you know, we're just going along with it like lap dogs, which is crazy, absolutely crazy. I mean, nobody sees these dangers. So, so there we are. Well, not very many do. Uh, you, you have been talking about them, David Stockman, on this show. There are some that do, but the vast majority and the propaganda doesn't want to take us there. I think the idea is that we can keep printing money with the world's reserve currency. It's going to last forever. Al- Alistair, without, with just a few minutes left, uh, four minutes, my engineer is telling me, talk to us about how this evolves into a gold standard globally, if, if you think that's, that's possible. Well, it's 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 slightly more complex than that. I mean, if you look at the um, uh, the price of oil um, in gold, then um, I can tell you that from 1950, the price of oil measured in gold grams has actually fallen by 30 <laughs> percent. OK, 
um, look at look at the chart of what's happened to the price of oil in dollars or sterling or whatever. I mean, it has not only been horrendously volatile, but it is also I mean, the, you know, the price has increased many multiples uh, in those currencies. So um, it's not just oil, but this is true of most other uh, most other commodities. So um, what we can say is that um, the way in, in which you get exposure to a commodity driven currency uh, and get out of a financial asset driven currency uh -huh. is actually uh -huh. to buy gold because gold is the proxy for uh -huh. Um, you know, for, for all those commodities. And I think that's the message that's really come through loud and clear uh, from what's been happening recently. And as I talk, um, uh, I see that gold is tending better. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's amazing how every evening in America they bash it in the paper market and bring mm -hmm. it back. But I look at the last five days of trading up, 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 despite the fact that it's been bashed back every time. And currently it's trading at 1968, having been 1920. Now, this is um, this is interesting because at the same time, I, I see that Bitcoin has really come back. And, um, you know, Bitcoin is never going to be money. Uh, it's you know, that's another story for another time, maybe. Yeah. But mm -hmm. you can see really this this situation is beginning to sort out the sheep from the goats. Mm -hmm. So the best way to do it, if if uh, I know that you've mentioned uh, Zoltan Paz, Pazar, yeah. uh, Credit Suisse analyst, who is talking about how uh, he, he's actually talking about this being Bretton Woods three, three mm. uh, and how the world is going to go back to a commodity that I think he, he calls it uh, outside money being commodity money, uh, trumping inside money being this sort of fiat money that's created out of thin air. The idea that America has been able to live on this money that created out of thin air and use those dollars to buy up the world's goods and Americans living beyond our means, it seems to me, Alistair, one way or another, that can't go on forever and that we may be getting very close uh, to the end of the good times for Americans. I, I say that with trepidation as an American, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with that entirely. And um, I think the thing to focus on is you're going to have far higher interest rates made worse because of this sanction situation. That is going to crash markets. You do not want to be in currencies which are entirely dependent on financial assets as the collateral backing for the banking system. That, I'm afraid, describes the dollar, it describes sterling, it describes the yen, and it describes the euro. It does not describe the Chinese renminbi, and it does not describe the ruble. So that, I think, is the situation. The only way, in, I mean, you know, we're not going to rush out and start buying rubles, and uh, we're certainly not going to start rushing out and buying uh, yuan. Um, but what you can do is you can buy, in effect, a proxy for that situation. And that is what gold is. And I think anyone who doesn't have a little bit of gold is actually, well, you know, being extremely bold. Yeah. Or just drinking the Kool-Aid, let's put it that way, perhaps. Uh, we'll have to leave it go at that, Alistair. Thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure having you, and we'll have to pick it up again sometime soon. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Jay. All right, folks, we do have to go now. That's it for today. Next week, uh, Quentin Henning will be back with me to talk about Lion One Metals. It's a company that's doing extremely well, and Ellen Brown joins us after a long time away from this show. We're looking forward to having her talk, and she will also be talking about some of the same things that Alistair just talked about. So we'll be uh, back next week again, and until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. 
Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 